glad that you guys are all here. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to, to Genesis chapter 12 or Genesis 22. We'll just kind of be flipping around a little bit this morning. Uh, we are back in our Advent series where we kicked off last week. We were talking about, last week we talked about how, how Jesus was born of a woman, how he's born of a virgin, how he's God and how he's human. And Adam set that up for us this week or last week. And this week we're going to be talking about this guy, Abraham. And so the text that we were reading was talking about Abraham, and we're going to get there in just a few minutes. But it's just I hope that you guys will, will follow along with us as we see some of the prophecies that Jesus fulfills in his life and in his, in his death. Now, I don't know if you guys have the same problem that I do. Uh, anyone in here a little bit forgetful? All right, so I'm not alone in this. Ever since I was a kid, if I did not write something down that I was supposed to do, I would almost always forget. And I just remember my parents getting really frustrated with me and like, I asked you to do that. And I was like, I completely forgot. And so I learned at a very young age that I had to make myself notes to remind myself of things. And so like randomly, like I'll just send like the most random messages to Tiffany and she'll just know like this is just a reminder for himself to do something because I don't have like a notepad with me at the time. And I just leave random notes. If you come to my house, you will probably see random notes that are just scattered around my house. Like if I've had to, we've had to take a toy away from Ava, like I'll write a note so I don't forget that we did that. And a couple of weeks ago, I had one of these moments where I had to write myself a note We've been to, to B&Bs twice in the last couple of months. And the funny thing about going to a B&B is Ava's favorite thing is the sausages for breakfast. Literally, like, she thinks that's the greatest thing about going to a B&B is, like, we get to eat sausages in the morning. And so, like, I've started buying some sausages so that we could cook them for breakfast. And one night, like, she was needed a little convincing to go to sleep. And I was like, look, Ava, if you go to sleep in the morning, I will make you sausages. And like, she just stays super still and she goes and lays down. And so as soon as I leave her room, I go into my office, I grab a sticky note, I make myself a note, make Ava sausages for breakfast. And I put it by the coffee because I don't forget that. But like, and I just had to remind myself, like I had to remember to do this because I tend to forget. I tend to say things that I want to do. And if I don't write it down, like I'll forget about it and I won't actually do it. And, and some of us have been there and I want to be a person of, of my word. I want to be a person of integrity. Even though my two-year-old doesn't remember at this point, I still want to set the stage of being a person who tells the truth. And what we see throughout scriptures about God is this, is God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. We read through the pages of the Bible. We see that God makes tons and tons of promises. And guess what? God keeps tons and tons of promises. God keeps his promises. He reminds us. He, he does the things that he says that he is going to do. So friends, if you are reading through the pages of scripture and God makes a promise, guess what? God will do that or God has already done that. And that's what we're seeing in this series is the way that God has kept some of these promises that he made about a, a coming Messiah, about a coming Lord. And we see that when Jesus comes, the prophecy is fulfilled. And today we're going to look at one of the prophecies that Jesus, one of the promises that Jesus fulfills in his life, in his death, and when he comes. And we're going to look in, in Genesis chapter 12, the first time we, we get a prophecy, we get a promise to a guy called Abraham. So if you guys want this week to read Genesis chapter 12 through like Genesis like 30, you can get the whole story of Abraham. Feel free to do that. We'll just highlight a little bit of it with our time this morning. But in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, Here's what it says. God is speaking to, to Abram, Abraham, Abram, same guy. Here's what he says. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. 
All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Catch that last part. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham gets this promise and things are going. He's like, okay, God. And Abraham, or God even tells Abraham, hey, Abraham, walk outside. Look at the stars in the sky. Try to count them. Can you do that? No, you can't. Because that is how many descendants you're going to have. He says, Abraham, go to the beach. Look at all the sand on the seashore. Can you count every single grain of sand? No, you can't. And that is the descendants that you are going to have. And then Abraham is like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm nearly 100 and I don't have any kids. Like something is not happening right. Something is not going the way that it's meant to. And God just continues to speak this promise of truth to Abraham. He tells him, don't, don't worry. I'm going to keep my promise. And then he continues this in, in chapter 22 of Genesis, verses 17 and 18. He reminds Abraham of the promise. He says this. He says, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Here's the reminder again. I, through your descendants, all the nations, all the people on earth will be blessed. And so we see this, that the descendants of Abraham are who? You guys know this? Who are they? Israel. It's the nation of Israel. And so we, we see this and like, so the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people meant to show the world what God is like to help people be in relationship with God. Uh, if I was going to summarize the people of Israel in two words, it would be screw ups, right? Like as you read through there, they're, they're not very good. Like as we, we'll talk about this in, in more of a minute, like, but he says, these are the people. It is through these descendants that we are going that the world is going to be blessed. And they just really seem to, to fall short time and time again. So Tiffany and I were having a conversation a couple of days ago. And like, I just had this weird thought of what would happen if we were in conversations with people and we just like stopped listening halfway through sentences. Like, just think about this for a second. Maybe someone comes up to you and says, I hate you, had to go through that. Like if we just stop listening at I hate you, that's really upsetting. But if we hear the whole sentence, like, I hate that you had to go through that, it's like, oh, wow, they're being very sympathetic for me. Or, or maybe someone comes up to you and says, you are amazingly annoying. Like, if we just stop listening at you are amazing, like, we can take that as a compliment when in reality, it's an insult. Like, if we don't hear the entire sentence, like, thing just begins to, to unravel. Or maybe you're in a conversation is like, I will forgive you when you deserve it, or, or whatever it may be. Just think about that this week. Like, I've been randomly cutting off sentences in my head when we were talking. You're like, well, that would be really funny if that was the part of the sentence that I only listened to. And as we read through this text, like, I can't help but think is like, is something wrong here? Like, okay, through your descendants, should we have just stopped there? Because it does not seem like your descendants are actually a blessing to the people of, of the world. Like, the promise is, like, through your, through your descendants, the entire world will be blessed. It doesn't take long at all to read through the Old Testament to see yeah, they don't do a very good job of this. Like, it doesn't take long at all for us to start seeing the way that Israel just continues to screw up. Like, and they are not a blessing to the nations. That They do anything but bless the nations. As we read through it, it's like, it's almost like they're a curse to the nations, right? Like, some of the things that begin to happen to the nations that they come around and because they're spending time with, like, things just get messy. And it's like, really, that's, did I mishear this? Did I stop listening in the sentence and I just add the rest? Like, what happened? Here, and rather than showing the world 
what God is like, man, they do some horribly disgusting and terrible things. Like they, they worship idols. They set up altars to worship false idols in the temple that God has told them to build to worship him. They have sex with prostitutes. They, they sacrifice their children. They eat their children like they are okay with cutting a child in half. They rape their siblings. Like It is gross. It is messy what the people of Israel do. And that's really just a short list. Like We can read through this time and time again. And, and God comes and he redeems his people and he renews them. And then they just they fall into sin again. They just mess up again and again. And God continues saving his people and rescuing his people. But... Essentially, what they've done is the opposite of what God has told them to do. It's like, okay, God would say, do this, and, and Israel just does the other thing. Or God has said, don't do that, and that's the thing that Israel does, and they just continue to mess up. And somehow, some way, this people is meant to be a blessing to the world. This people is meant to bless the entire nations. Like, this doesn't seem to be the way that it's going to go. Things don't always go the way that it that is planned out to go. A few years ago, I was reading a story about the 70-year-old guy who retired. And after he retired, he realized, I don't really like spending time with my wife. Like, and he was just like, this is getting, and it just got worse and worse. And finally, he had no idea what to do. And so the logical conclusion, at least in his mind, was I need to go rob a bank. That way I will be arrested and can avoid being with my wife. True story, guys. This is actually what happened. So he goes and he robs the bank. After he robs the bank, he goes and he sits down in the lobby and waits for the cops to come and to arrest him and to take him to jail. And he goes and, and he's brought before court and the judge, and he tells the story, he tells the situation. And in a funny twist of irony, guess what the judge punishes him with? Five years of house arrest. Yeah. And so things just didn't quite go the way that it was meant to go. It didn't, didn't play out that way. And that's what we see here is like things just don't go the way that they're supposed to go. Like Abraham's descendants were supposed to be this great blessing. And more than that, they, they almost seem like a curse. Like things are supposed to go this incredible way. And, and they're just not working the way that they're meant to be. They're not being the blessing that they were intended to be. So enter Jesus. Jesus jumps into our story. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Maybe when you're doing your Bible reading plan, you just kind of snooze through this. and like, okay, let me just get through this really quickly because this isn't really important. It actually is important. Uh, here's what it says. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And then we connect all the way back to verse 16. It continues on. He says, Jacob was the father of Joseph. Joseph was the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Those who are listed above include the 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. So here's what we see. Is, is Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. He comes from the line of, of, of Abraham, and, and that's really important for us. And so if we're going to skip down just a few verses to this Christmas story, perhaps you've read this to your kids. Maybe you've read through this this year already. Verse 21, it says this of Jesus. He says, she will, give, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. This is what Jesus is going to do. He is going to save the people from their sins. And so friends, here's what we begin to see with Jesus. 
is Jesus came to do what Israel and Abraham failed to do and could never truly do. And that's fully bless the world. It's a super wordy statement, I get it. But like, it was like I was trying to condense it down and it just didn't work. And, and so this is what happens. Like Jesus comes to do what Abraham and what Israel could never do, what they always screwed up to do. And what they could never do is truly bless the world. So here's the thing, friends. Jesus is the blessing from the line of, of Abraham. Jesus is the blessing. He is the blessing from the descendants of Abraham. And Jesus says this, and, and John talks about this in, in John 1.14. It says this about Jesus. He says, So the word, world, or the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. If, and we have seen the glory of our Father, Father's one and only Son. I want you to catch that phrase they say about Jesus. He is full of love and faithfulness. That is actually a direct quote from, from Exodus 34. And just so you guys know, starting the new year, we're going to study the passage in Exodus chapter 34. Funny that. Where we're going to be camping out where God tells tells Moses his name. And God says this about himself. He says, I am full of love and faithfulness. And Jesus, it's said about him. And so he is the perfect personification. He shows the world what, what God is like. Israel was meant to point people in the direction of God to help them see what God was like, to be in right relationship with him. And they messed that up, but Jesus doesn't. And Jesus shows us this. And so I think for us, the best way we can understand the way that, that Jesus is a blessing that Abraham could never be is to look at, at John chapter 8. So in John 8, there is a really fascinating dialogue. There's a fascinating moment that happens when Jesus is talking to some, some religious leaders. It's like 20 verses. We're not going to read it all together. So just love to encourage you this week to just kind of read through John 8, uh, verses 31 to 59, if you want to read through the entire story. But we're just going to hit some of, some of the highlights here. So John 8, starting in verse 31 through 33, here's what it says. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will set free? And so here's one of the things we see the way that Jesus is a blessing to the world in a way that Abraham could never be, is that Jesus sets free. Jesus sets free. And so he says, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is saying to his followers, he's saying, this is personal. That if you know me, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And these people that Jesus is talking to, these religious leaders are like, well, we, we've never been slaves. We're not, we're not slaves to anything. We've, and they literally say, we've never been slaves to anything almost like they've forgotten those 400 years that they spent in, in Egypt as slaves, or they forgot about those 70 years that they spent in the Babylonian exile, or maybe they forget that Rome is currently oppressing them right now. But other than that, sure, they've never been slaves. But like, they're looking at this and it's like, okay, right now, we are not slaves. And man, sometimes I think about that, and I was reading this text this week, and I wonder if that's our response. I mean, I'm, I'm not really a slave to anything. Like, I'm not oppressed. I'm not, I'm not a slave, right? Like, but sometimes I think our slavery is, is a spiritual oppression that we don't even begin to, to look at or we don't even think about. Maybe it's that sin issue in your life and you're just like, well, well, I can stop anytime that I want. Oh yeah? Why haven't you? 
Or, or why, like, why is that still going on if you're not a slave to that, if you're not oppressed to that? And like, we start having this, this spiritual thing that is holding us captive. And he starts talking about these people and he, Jesus doubles down. It's like, you've never been a slave? Okay, sure. Let's see where your real oppression lies in verse 44 through 47. Jesus truly gets to the heart of the issue here. He says, you are the children of your father, the devil. That's harsh. You love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he was a liar and is the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you are just naturally don't believe me, which if of you are truthfully accuse me of sin. Since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you, don't listen, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. And so he's just reminding them, yeah, you may think that you're not enslaved. And that's because you're, you're, the person you're listening to is a liar. I mean, the last thing Satan wants us to realize is that we are enslaved to our sin. The last thing that we really want, he wants us to realize is that, that we are actually held captive by this. He wants us to think like, okay, everything's fine. I can quit this at any time that I want. Like he wants to hold us captive of this. And what we see is like Satan is a liar. He is a master at half truths. He is a master at scripture twisting. And Jesus says this beautiful thing. He says, the truth can set you free. And maybe for a lot of us, like that's what we need to hear. It's like, we need to hear the truth that Jesus can set you free, that you can be free from whatever it is because Jesus sets free. And here's the thing though, if the truth can set us free, then a lie can hold us captive. I mean, you think about this. Maybe think of some of the lies that may hold you captive. Maybe the lie is, oh, it's, it's not that bad. Or no one's getting hurt, so it's not really a big deal. No one will ever find out. Maybe those are the lies that hold you captive. Or maybe you are just stuck in this place, and the lies that you are hearing is, I will never be free from this. Or maybe what Satan is whispering to you is, you are what you did. Or, or maybe what he's saying is like, you're never going to get help. People never change and you are never going to change. So you might as well accept who you are and where you are. And, and God could never love you because you did this. And, and maybe those are the lies that you begin to buy into and they can hold us captive. They can change our, our, our entire identity. Like they can just shape who we are and we just start thinking of ourselves in, the, in these ways. And, but Jesus comes and Jesus sets free. He sets free in a way that Abraham never could. He comes and so we can have our dignity back. We can have our identity back. And we see of Abraham, Abraham becomes the father of a great nation. Yeah. But Jesus is Lord over all the nations. And he is greater. And Jesus, he, in, in Philippians 2, it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In the book of Revelation, it talks about how every tongue, every tribe, every nation is going to come under the lordship of Jesus. Like he is king. He is better than Abraham. And so the freedom that Jesus offers is unrivaled and unattainable anywhere else. Man, I don't know. I don't know where you've been running for freedom. I don't know where you've been chasing after freedom. Whether it's in freedom of your relationships or in a bottle or in a joint, I don't know where we've been running for freedom. Let me just remind you that, that Jesus sets free. And Satan wants to hold us captive. He wants to keep us where we are. And Jesus has the power. He has the power 
to set us free. Through Jesus, we have the power to defeat sin struggles that we have never been able to on our own. We can be different. People can change because of the gospel, because Jesus sets free. Continue reading on in, in John 8. There's an incredible little moment here in John 8, 56 is what it says. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. Just just sit with that for a second. Your father Abraham looked forward to my coming and he rejoiced and he was glad. Is it crazy to think that Abraham looked forward to Jesus? Like, as we begin to see this is like, Perhaps what Abraham realizes when God tells him, hey, you're going to have descendants, you're going to have land, you're going to have wealth, you're going to have all these people. Perhaps what Abraham is like, yeah, that's well and good, but there has to be something more to life than that. Like, I don't just want to have a lot of kids. I don't want to just have a lot of land. I don't want to just have a lot of stuff. Perhaps what Abraham is saying is like, and what he's looking forward to is, is there is something more. There is something better than, than anything that, that this world has to offer. Because anything outside of Jesus, it pales and fails in comparison to him. I mean, ultimately, Abraham hoped, Abraham had faith that there was a greater blessing that was coming. That there was something more that there was to look forward to. There was something greater. Abraham longed for a day when, when everything would be made right. He longed for the day when there would be a new heaven and a new earth. He longed for the day when there was no longer any sin problem that you can think of that wrecks our world, he longs for that day and he looks forward to that day. And Hebrews 11 says this about about Abraham. It says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham was looking forward to something better. He was looking forward to the real blessing that was going to come through Jesus, that the blessing that he could never bring, that the descendants, his descendants like of Israel could never bring, but Jesus brings fully and perfectly. And we see this beautiful statement in, in Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 verse 5. Here's what, what Paul writes. He says this, he says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as human nature is concerned. He is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So he's letting us know. Like, yeah, he's, he is a descendant of Abraham, sure. But there is something so much more that Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is worthy of praise. He's ruler over everything. And I love the only thing that, that Paul can say at the end. He can just say Amen. Right? Like, I think that is an appropriate response to reading this about Jesus. So we're going to do this together. I'm going to read this part, and at the end, we're just going to all say amen. It might be a little weird for us, but it'll be okay. We can, we can probably do it together. Are we ready? All right. He is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Wow. Well done, guys. We did, we did well there. Yeah. Like, I think that's really the only response. Amen. Yes. Praise, praise the Lord for that to be true. As we continue reading, we continue looking, I think we start to see an even more massive parallel, a, different, a, a contradiction, I suppose, or a difference between Jesus and Abraham. And it's, it's that Jesus, Jesus knew. Jesus knew, and that's important. So God shows up to Abraham, and he tells him, Abraham, go. And Abraham goes, even though he doesn't know where he's, where he's going. But here's the thing that we see in the story of the Bible is that God and Jesus, they sit down and they make a plan. 
a way to redeem the brokenness in our world, the way to make things right, that Jesus knew what he was going, where he was going. He knows what is happening here. He, is, he, he volunteers. Jesus isn't this reluctant victim. Jesus is a volunteer. He's like, I will do this. Let's, let's do this. This was the plan from the beginning. The cross wasn't plan B. Like, this was the plan. And we see, like, God tells Abraham to go, and he went. Jesus tells God, I will go, and he went. Abraham trusted, although he did not know where he was going. Jesus trusted God, even though he did know where he was going. Even though he knew where the road would lead, he still goes. The, the means he would have to come to this world, this world that's a mess. He knew he would go to the cross, to the grave. You also know that ultimately he was going to wind up back at the right hand of the Father. Like as we read through the crucifixion, like when Jesus is in the garden, like he knows, he knows where his road is leading. He sends this check engine light. He lets them know like, hey, I am going to die. I am going to be crucified. He, he predicts this. He tells them time and time again. Jesus knew where his path would lead and he willingly chose it. Jesus knew where his path would lead. And he chose it and he walks this path. And in doing so, he blesses the world in a way that Abraham never could. And so as we read through this and we study through this, I think for, for me and maybe for you, your thinking is, okay, that's great. I'm glad Jesus did that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Jesus blesses the world like Abraham never could. Like, what does this mean for me? Like, how is there, is there anything practically that I can do to help bless the world? Raise your hand in here if you want to be a blessing to the world. Does anybody want to be a blessing? Yeah, okay. So how do we do that? Because obviously, I can't save people from their sins. Can't do that. Jesus did that, but we can't. Like, how should we, how can we be a blessing? I think a good place for us to start is just looking at the life of Jesus. That's a really important place for us to start. And I have often said and heard it said about Christmas that, that Christmas, we celebrate the day that Jesus came to die. And that is true, yes. But there's so much more to this. Like, Jesus didn't just come to die. Those 33 years between his birth and his, his crucifixion, those are really important. Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to live. And God didn't just say, he didn't just show, tell us the way. No, he sent Jesus to, to show us the way. He, he comes and he shows us the way. And I've shared this with you guys before, and, and, and maybe you, you feel the same way. But when I'm shopping... And when I ask where something is, I absolutely hate it when an employee tells me it's on aisle 11. Thank you. Because before I've asked, I looked at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I've looked through every aisle. Like, I don't want someone just to tell me where it is. I have, believe me, I've spent 20 minutes looking before I even decided that I was going to ask. And so I don't want someone just to tell me the aisle. I want them to, to take me and show me, oh, it's right here. And here's what we, this is what Jesus did. Jesus comes. And he shows us what it looks like. He shows us this life. And here's the thing, friends. Jesus' life, not just his death, matters. And I'm not saying like Jesus' death doesn't matter because it does. It matters a lot. Like, don't mishear me. But his life also matters. The fact that he lives is so important for us. In his life, Jesus truly reflects the character of God. In his life, Jesus shows us what it looks like to truly be human. In his life, he shows us how, what it looks like to bless the world. The song that we are singing from Isaiah 9, 6, 
I don't know why we didn't do like the, the screamo part at the end like of Isaiah 9-6, um, but we have to get that back in next time. But, um, there's, but Isaiah 9-6, there's a part of it where at the end it says he's the prince of peace. And then if we look at verse 7, it says he will rule with peace. And so this, this word peace is shalom. It's completeness. It's wholeness. And this is what we get a chance to do. Jesus rules with peace. We get a chance to do the same thing. We can live in peace with one another. So how, do we, how can we be a blessing to the world? I think a really good place for us to start is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Can I just challenge you guys to something in 2022? I don't know if you guys are New Year's resolutions kind of people or not, but even if you're not, would you just, can I just encourage you to do this? Read through the Sermon on the Mount 12 times. Once a month. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. Read these words that Jesus is saying. Read the things that he is telling you. Once a month, read through this. Like you don't have to do it all in one sitting, but like break it up through the month and, and just read through this. Because as you do, we begin to see this new way to be human. We begin to see what it looks like to truly bless the world. And my goal and our goal in this is not just for you to get through scripture or scripture to get into you. It's for it to come out of you. To us to begin to living out this way of being human. Like, man, what would it look like? What would it look like if we were people who, who sought out those who had something against us so that we could make things right. It would be a blessing, wouldn't it? What if we were people who were quick to forgive even when they don't deserve it? What would that look like? Man, it'd be a blessing. What if we were people who gave generously and we said like, okay, the the homeless people on Shop Street, the homeless people in, in Galway, like that's my responsibility to care for those people and to give generously to them. Or the single mom or the people who are struggling with bills. is like the neighbor that we know who, who's having a hard time. Like we're saying that's my responsibility and I'm going to be generous and I'm going to do what I can to bless them, to show the world what Jesus is like. I mean, let me encourage you, beg you, plead with you, whatever it takes to commit your life to being a blessing, to live out the words of Jesus, to do the things that Jesus tells us to do. In a world of dishonesty, what if we committed to, to being incredibly honest and people of integrity like Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount? What would that look like to our world? What is the way that it would bless our world? And we get a chance as followers of Jesus to set up little pieces of heaven everywhere that we are. And we get to help people see what true forgiveness looks like. We get to help the world see what unconditional love looks like. So are we going to commit to this? Are you going to make an investment? Like, this is where I'm going to invest myself. This is where I'm going to invest my time. I am going to live out the mission of Jesus. I'm going to do what Jesus calls me to do. I'm going to be a blessing. Or are we going to invest our lives in other things that don't matter? This week I was, I was reading a story about a guy called Lotso Hamick. And he makes a, a terrible investment. So back in 2010... He goes and he, wants to, he orders two large Papa John's pizzas. And he works out a deal with Papa John's that he's going to buy these two large pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. Now, in 2010, this is roughly $41. So you know what? It, it, not a great deal, but not a terrible deal. 35 euro. Like, I think most of us would be like, okay, it's, it's not great. However, in today's economy, 10,000 Bitcoins for two large pizzas is half a billion dollars. All right, so 
And, and, and in, in this interview, I find it fascinating how much he just lies because he says, I don't regret it. Oh, really? Like when your wife is like, hey, honey, should we move? I don't know. Like if, if we had half a billion dollars, we could move anywhere we want. Like, but he spends half a billion dollars on two pizzas, like a terrible investment. Like you, you know, he has to have some PTSD for this, right? Like if he's hanging out with friends, like, hey, we're hungry. You want to order some pizza? I bet he's the first one. No, please no. Like let's, let's just do the math together, okay? One pizza, we're going to cut it in half. One pizza would be a, a quarter of a billion dollars, $250 million. Break that down, 10 slices, 10 bites per slice, $2.5 million a bite. I've had Papa John's pizza. It ain't that good. All right? And so he makes this investment, and it's this terrible investment. And man, I wonder. So I was reading that story. I was like, what are we investing in? What are we pouring our lives into? What is the investment that we are making? Are we saying, you know what? My life is going to be used to be a blessing to the world. I am going to dedicate my life. I am going to invest in the kingdom of heaven. I am going to invest in people getting to see, getting to see the glory of the Father. I'm going to invest in being a blessing to the world. Or are we making terrible investments in other things? Spending half a billion dollars on two pizzas. Can I just pray for us? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today.